What is the DNA of business marketing? How do we market ourselves now and in the future? Brand communications is evolving. Are you? Let's explore together. Spiral upwards. This is Spiral Marketing. Welcome to the Spiral Marketing Podcast. This episode is going to be about agile process, really. So we have talked about agile in previous episodes, but not in such a formal way. It's been more of more skirting around the formal definition in terms of a process of what the science of agile is, but more as a broad use of to be nimble, to be agile. And uh, I thought it would be great for us to bring in an expert on agile processes as more of a formal discipline as opposed to an informal way of integrating into your marketing, your business, whatever that might be. So uh, with that being said, I think we're going to learn a lot today. In fact, I know we're going to learn a lot today. All right. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome, Eric Watson from Muse Technologies. Great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Excellent. So agile technologies, agile processes, I'd like to, I guess I'd like to start with how you use them and how did you come to, a, how did you come to Agile? Okay, uh, fair enough. So in my career, when I initially started out, I was a developer. Okay, that's initially where Agile started, was in software development. Mm -hmm. And starting out as a developer, you could see where there were many problems with the process, where you would deliver products, you would deliver applications, and the clients just were not happy. After a couple iterations of that, I realized, okay, I needed to move on. And then I moved into the financial sector. Mm-hmm. Moving into the financial sector, they were very focused on results. But then they also had to have a controlled process to deliver those results. That's where Agile came in. And that was pretty much right around the start of Agile. Uh, Agile officially kicked off with the Agile Manifesto in 2001. Nice. I started in the financial sector in 2000, and they were already doing many of those same exact practices, except they didn't call it Agile. Mm -hmm. It was all about really working with the actual customer, being the traders at that particular point in time, and delivering solutions rapidly, um, making sure that everyone had equal say in what they were doing. So... From there, and after I saw what was being done there, I just had to continue doing it. So that just led me further into it, getting better training, going out, finding other companies that were more involved with it, and then ultimately in consulting, which I'm doing right now, so that I can train, mentor, coach individuals so they can do it better. And not just in the software development area, but in other business practices as well. And that's where I really see it begin to shine as well, because Agile is really starting to take off now with people starting to see the benefits. Love it. Yes. So uh, I love that you went from software development to the financial sector because it's proof that this is not just for coding necessarily. Right. Okay. absolutely correct. For those who uh, maybe didn't watch the previous episodes on uh, that reference agile, maybe we could get your definition of what is agile. Okay. From my point of view, agile winds up addressing a couple of problems. Okay. First of all, you have low engagement 
pretty much around the world right now where you have to find some way to go about motivating individuals so they actually contribute. You also had problems where individuals didn't feel like they were empowered. Okay, so that was something else that they needed to tackle. So when they started with Agile back in 2001 with this Agile manifesto, they were looking at how do we go about empowering teams? How do we go about increasing engagement and reducing defects? So you have formal definitions, but my definition winds up being one in which you wind up working closely with your client, okay, so that you can deliver short iterations of functional products, whatever that may be. It could be a new process. It could be a software application. It could be a financial model. But what you want to do is you want to work closely with your client. You want to have a small uh, self-organizing team where they come together. Everyone knows what they're doing. They understand what needs to be done. And you don't have this uh, very heavy hierarchical approach where the individuals, they get to contribute. They get to add value to the process and not just simply wait to get feedback or input from a team leader or something like that. So you increase engagement. You wind up increasing the actual empowerment of the team. And you're still delivering these very short, quick um, working pieces of services, products, whatever the case may be, so that the client can give you feedback faster and then that you can get that product out in the market a lot faster. Love it. That's great. It sounds like there's parts that are science, but it also sounds a bit like a philosophy. Definitely. Um, one of the things that happens in Agile is you'll quite often see organizations, they say, oh, we're Agile. What right. they really mean is they're doing nothing but following some agile ceremonies. Hmm. You have to actually embrace agile. Agile is a mindset, much more so than an actual process. The process, it should really be molded around what your organization is about, what your culture is about. In terms of doing agile, it's really that mindset where you value the team that's working on that particular delivery product or service and you encourage them to work together and always shoot for delivering something and making sure that the client actually needs that particular thing because a lot of times you'll find that whatever the case may be every organization they're trying to get uh, services out much faster okay in mm -hmm. doing that they come up with these incredible project plans that are map out for two to three years when you have a project plan that goes out two, three years, how many people actually hit that? Very few. Yeah. <laughs> so it's almost a wasted time where they continue to do it. So that's another a one. A fraction of zero, right? <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> um, so what happens is you, you look at it and you have to understand that if the management can actually embrace letting the team go off and do what's necessary and just produce those value added artifacts at some point in time so they can see it, provide feedback to it, and then say, oh, you know what? We had planned to go in this direction. That doesn't make any sense. Based on what you just learned, we want to go in this direction because we think it'll be a better value proposition if you do that. So you're always learning with Agile. You're delivering uh, different po uh, pieces. And the key thing is that you need to make sure that that top-level management, the senior executive staff, that they are empowering the teams, that they understand it's more about the team than it is the individual. And by doing that, if you can tackle those things, you can be successful even if you don't follow all of the ceremonies in Agile. Oh, I love it. That's fantastic. Well, in terms of ceremonies and process, what do you, what minimum process or step-by-step step do you suggest that one keep in mind? 
quite often what you hear about are the scrums, okay, mm-hmm. where those are effectively a daily meeting that you have, or it can be three times a week, whatever the right. team uh, decides on. And what they do is they go in, they talk about what they've done yesterday, they talk about what you plan on doing today, and they talk about any obstacles. That right there winds up being key. Um, because what you want to make sure is that the team is always communicating. The team understands what's holding them back, what obstacles they have, what they need to do to get around these obstacles. That's a big one. The retrospect is probably the second biggest one that I would say. Um, now, this is a lot more in software development, but it really should be done in almost any business practice. If you go out, you start some new task that you've never done before. At the end of it, you're going to learn, oh, we did some things this wasn't exactly correct. If we had to do it again, this is the way we would do it now. So that retrospective gives the team an opportunity to come together, look at things that didn't exactly work, make the modifications, reintroduce them into the next iteration that you have so that you can deliver better and faster and a better quality product at the same time. So that's another process that I find to be incredibly important. Fantastic. The, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, really, really, to just be able to absorb that you have a team and uh, every day or whatever check-in, you meet up, you, uh, you in, intentionally talk about what did we learn, mm-hmm. what do we want to do, and uh, then move forward in short bursts to actually get it done is, is such a powerful process that... It's, it sounds so simple, right? But it's like project management is simple, but most people don't do it. Not very well. <laughs> right, right. So you were going to mention another process, I think. I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, yeah. The, the other one that I think winds up being important is really this notion around the, the estimating or the, the agile planning, okay? Because what you have to do is when you look at it at the end of the day, you have to deliver something. Someone's going to give you X amount of money and they expect a product or service at the very end of it. So you have to deliver something. So when you go through the planning process, what you do is the team, they sit down and they try to figure out what can we do? What's realistic? But then at the same time, they understand that if they run into obstacles, it's more important to deliver something than not to deliver something. Uh, You see this a lot of times when you have these projects that are going out for these three to five years and they've got a very beautiful project plan. And and the team actually, well, management celebrates this very beautiful, very detailed project plan. But then six months in, they're like, well, how far are we? Oh, we're three months off. (laughs) You know, how much did we actually deliver? Well, we only delivered 10%. We were targeted to deliver 25%. And everything winds up being off. So it's a real change in that culture again. Um, there, so much a, for that fancy Gantt chart, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that winds up being a lot of noise that I think as you mature in the your evolution of software development or any uh, process maturity model, you'll understand that certain things, you, they need to be left behind. And that could definitely be one of them where I don't think when you look at how rapidly organizations, companies, uh, services are moving nowadays, that is something that, okay, you can just stay behind. We, we don't need it. It's a relic. Right. Okay. Well, we're going in a whole different direction than I had perceived, and it's fine uh, be, because we need to be agile, right? <laughs> so in terms of documentation or mm, tools to be helpful in a, a similar spirit of documentation, mm-hmm. what do you think is helpful? 
In terms of document, that's a very inter- uh, interesting question. Uh, I remember a couple of projects that I've worked on, and they were, again, these standard hierarchical company, very rigid with their project uh, management process. And of course, there were a lot of documentation that had to be generated. Mm-hmm. And I remember one project I worked on, we spent four months putting together all of the requirements, showed them to the client. The client said, yes, that's what I want. Come to find out the client had never actually read the actual documentation. All they did was look at the pictures, said that was enough. When we actually delivered the actual project, it took too long for them. They didn't like some other items that were in the actual application because they didn't read it. Um, So in terms of documentation, one of the big things about Agile is they talk about the relationship is more important than documentation. Okay. Okay. That actual one-on-one communication where you sit down and you hash out a lot of details with an individual to find out what are they interested in? What do you need to do in this particular iteration or uh, small uh, sprint that we have? And by doing that, you actually learn a lot more than trying to document every single thing that needs to be done, be it a service, uh, be it an actual application. Just as you try to document it, what happens is you sort of set up um, two different roles, and it's almost adversarial to a certain extent where if I wind up showing you documentation, that's a contract that I give to you. And I say, okay, this is what we're going to wind up doing for you. Now, of course, you'll look at it. You've never seen this before. Right. You begin to look at it and you go, wow, you know, this is really great. I think this would be more beneficial. But I guess just gave you the project plan, the requirements document. You signed off on it. So now I say, no, we can't do that. that that's out of scope. Okay. But meanwhile, you, the client, you actually realize this would be more beneficial if I had this other piece. This is what I really want to do. And a lot of times you can't. So by always generating formal documentation. It winds up being a hindrance sometimes. And then just in terms of documentation on uh, projects that you might have, one approach that I've always advocated is do just the right amount of documentation that is required. A lot of things are, you produce these artifacts, these documentation um, packages that are never read. They sit on a shelf. No one actually looks at it. So, again, when you look at Agile, Agile is really about value delivery. And when you look at the value of some documentation that's going to be outdated in the second release, is it really beneficial to do that? Um, so you, you ha- it's a balancing act, and it's not perfect. It's going to be different for every organization because you have to look at that organization and determine what are they trying to do, what is needed. And then you kind of work with what is needed rather than this legacy process that they've had to say, oh, we've always done it this way. Well, why? You switched over to Agile because you were having issues. So shouldn't this be something else that we look at? Shouldn't this be something else that we address? And I think when you approach it from that point of view, how do we add value? And then you ask the question, how much documentation is really needed versus how much documentation does someone want? That's great. Yeah, that's that's great. That's that's interesting. That what kept popping up in my head is the doc, the goal is the documentation. <laughs> the that that's what seemed to just resonate was right. that we're going in a direction, and that is the that's ultimately where the documentation is centered around, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, if you look at what's going on with a lot of products nowadays, when you get a new phone, when you get a new 
um, almost any new electrical device that you have, a lot of times they just give you one sheet that's a quick startup guide and all of the documentation is actually online. So what's happened is organizations, they've begun to realize, okay, where do we really add the value? Where can we save some money? So rather than trying to generate all of this documentation, they say, what we'll do is we'll put out uh, applications or we'll release a service or something like that, and we'll let users sometimes figure it out. Like, have you ever actually seen an instruction manual for Instagram? No. It doesn't exist. <laughs> so, so they looked at it and like, who's actually reading this? No one. Should we do it? No. Right. Oh, that's amazing. So uh, agile might have been uh, the uh, the conclusion of the instruction manual and manuals. That's <laughs> oh, that, that's that's fascinating. Okay, and how? What's the typical process for someone to get started in agile? From your experience, what I would say is it starts with training. Mm-hmm. Definitely, it starts with training because. Like I said, for myself, when I initially got started with the financial firm, I saw that they were doing, it was completely different than anything I'd done before. And I adapted to it very quickly because I saw that a change was needed. But even after that, there's other improvements that you can make to the process. So training, going, becoming like a scrum master, figuring out the different roles that you have. And they have certifications for a lot of the different roles, product owner. Uh, you have you can be a scrum team member. You can actually be a developer or you can be a scrum master. And then you can go beyond that to be a trainer. But the more training that you get, you figure out how to refine the actual process because A lot of organizations, when they get started with Agile, they struggle because it is so different. And when you struggle with a new process, what you find is that as soon as you run into a really tough roadblock or timeline gets crunched on you, what happens? You revert back to the old process. Okay. So with the training, you learn how to fight through that and you learn how to continue on track and you learn how the importance of some of the other ceremonies, like the retrospective, getting the root cause analysis, why certain things happened. When you begin to do those things that you actually receive from the training, that helps immensely. And then getting other teams involved with it as well. Um, So for me, it definitely starts with training. And then after training, what I would suggest is going out, finding a coach. If you can find a coach that will help guide you through a lot of the actual bottlenecks and roadblocks that you're going to run into because certain things you just never seen before. You've never actually implemented this. Right. And if you leave it up to senior management, oh, no, you you don't have to do that. Let's go back and do it the old way that was working. (laughs) So with a coach, that coach can actually talk to management, calm them down, okay, get them back on track, and then have the team understand, okay, we're going to push forward, and this is how you deal with it. So training and coaching, I would say, those are probably the two most important things. And then just reading. Perfect. Okay. Agile specific coaches. Are there a lot of those? Oh, definitely. Really? Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> you will find because Agile has been around officially for going on 18 years mm-hmm. now. Um, and it's it was, an adult. Yes. <laughs> uh, and in that course of that maturity process, there have been many, many individuals that wind up being, I mean, really great Agile coaches. And you need that for a team because you're running the situations, you just don't know how to deal with them. And that coach winds up being invaluable. And for people that have actually been in the trenches, that have seen it before, they can wind up navigating a lot of these obstacles that you would have no clue to do. So there's some great coaches out there, without a doubt. Oh, fantastic. And uh, 
I think you do consulting. Do you also do coaching? Yes. Okay. So that, that's primarily what I do. Uh, what I do is I handle the coaching. I handle much more of the technical processes uh, at Muse because our CEO, they well. The senior leadership team that we have, they focus a lot on the culture of an organization because just like I talked about, when you try to transition over to Agile, it's a culture change. Uh, Peter Drucker, he had a famous quote, culture beats um, strategy. Well, sorry. Culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Huh. Okay. <laughs> That's so, great. So when you look at it, we have almost one half of the organization that focused on trying to change the culture, okay? And then I really bring in the tools and the processes that actually help an organization to uh, solve some of the problems that they have. And sometimes we introduce Agile uh, to them. Sometimes Agile is not a, a good fit for that particular organization. But yes, and so we, we, we've broken the organization up into two parts, really trying to tackle the most difficult elements that you find within an organization. Love it. Okay. And... There's been a number of mentions of roles and titles. How important are those specific roles and titles in the team? And if it's important, then maybe you could give a quick rundown of each, even if it's a sentence. Okay. Um, the three most important roles that I would say is you have a product owner, you have a scrum master, and then you have the team. Okay. The product owner is incredibly important in this process. The product owner is responsible for defining the scope that you're working with because as the team, they begin to work with the actual uh, product, trying to deliver whatever you're trying to create, which is brand new. A lot of times you run into obstacles you just didn't envision, you didn't plan for. At that point in time, the product owner has to make a decision. What features can we live with or we can't live with? What do I absolutely need in this initial release that we're going to have? So they are working constantly with the team trying to define everything that this particular service or product is going to do for you. And then they have to make some very critical decisions as to if we can't deliver X in this particular iteration, is it going to be sufficient that we deliver Y? So you, it's sort of like a trade-off game where if you can't have one thing, what can I have? Or you just say, it may not be of any value anymore, so they have to pull it out. So product owner ones are being very important. The Scrum Master is the second most important uh, role that I would say. Uh, the Scrum Master, they have transitioned leadership, how you traditionally think of it. They become much more of a servant leader than what you traditionally find, which is very much, um, it, they wind up pretty much directing uh, is a let's say a PC way of saying. <laughs> um, and what happens is it's very difficult for people to make that transition because now what you're saying is I am now going to commit myself to the needs of the team rather than me directing the team as to what needs to be done. Okay. And that's very difficult for a lot of individuals to make because you really have to trust that that team is going to deliver exactly what you're looking for at the quality that you're looking for as well. And it's, that, that can be interesting. So the Scrum Master, they have to navigate those difficult waters, okay, and really transition their role. And what you'll find is that really good Scrum Masters are um, almost like uh, individuals that are always giving themselves. So you see like admins, okay? Mm -hmm. Admins wind up being incredible 
scrum masters because they're constantly trying to nurture the needs of whoever their primary uh, client may be. So if it winds up being a CEO, a CIO, something like that, they're used to basically serving the needs of that particular individual. So they make great actual scrum masters. Um, There's a video out uh, and some couple of practices where what they do is they have you build these spaghetti towers. Okay. Interesting. It it, it looks really straightforward, Mm -hmm. but when you involve like three or four other teams, what you find out is the competition begins to overwhelm you. Okay. So you're trying to get this task done of building the highest tower and you're under a clock and you're also competing with these other individuals. So it makes for very interesting dynamics. So what they found out is that, of course, engineers, that they had the best result, but or the highest towers. The okay. second group that actually had the uh, highest towers turned out to be uh, actually preschoolers, kindergartners. Wow. Because they want to follow that agile process. They <laughs> begin to try to put things together and they'll go through trial and error. They'll just keep trying to put things together to actually see what works. And when you... Begin to move, remove the preschoolers, which is always interesting. The <laughs> next group turned out to be like CIOs, okay? Well, C- CEOs, C- CIOs. And one of the things they found out was in order to actually improve the productivity of the CEOs, the CIOs, CTOs, and things like that, if you made an admin, the scrum master, that team actually performed better than just if you had the CEOs together by themselves. That's so fascinating. That, that scrum master someone that's willing to dedicate themselves to the team, what the team needs, not be directing, not constantly trying to assert themselves. And they just understand I'm here to actually provide a service for the team. You'll have a much more productive team. So Scrum Master, definitely a critical role that you have. They're the ones that understand the processes, the ceremonies, what has to be done. Um, Very key. And then lastly, the team members. Um, Team members, they just have to understand that, the traditional role where you only had one hat that you would wear on a particular team, that's changed. In Agile, everyone jumps in to pretty much do whatever is needed. And it winds up being an opportunity for some people to branch out into areas that they haven't had much exposure to in the past. So this is back to that empowerment. When you actually tell individuals, the team can figure it out. You go off, do what you want to do. Certain people will gravitate towards other areas. And then other individuals, they'll get an opportunity to learn what they're doing. And then they can wind up contributing in great ways. Because I'll tell you an interesting story. Please. Uh, For me, um, I have obviously an engineering background. Okay. You're also a former military, right? That is correct. Thank you for your service. Uh, Thank you. So um, we went to an escape room one time. It was myself, there was like a, another doctor that was there, there was a, a housewife, and then it was like a music major. So I was like, oh, we got this licked. We're going to be able to get out of this thing with no problem. I was like, between me and the doctor, oh, this is, this is going to be a piece of cake. We go in there, and within like almost the first minute, we're just baffled. And I'm like, huh, how does this work? It turns out the music major wound up being the most beneficial person on that particular team at that point in time because they think out of the box. Wow. And that is, I'd never really valued, to be honest, I'd never really valued that as much as I do now because on a team, you're going to have different personalities that you have to bring together. And you're going to have certain traits that certain individuals bring to the table that you may not see in that formalized structure. But once you open people up and you say, do whatever is necessary, 
then you begin to see these other talents that individuals have and you begin to understand the value that they actually bring to the table. So long story short, I've definitely learned to appreciate music majors tremendously from that experience. That's amazing. So the music major helped the engineers and military and doctors escape. (laughs) Without her, we would have been stuck much longer. (laughs) Well, that's interesting. The... uh, I was curious about how personality type plays into the different roles for mm-hmm. the uh, for the agile team members. Right. And uh, does it does it play a direct role that that certain personality type is more better suited to being scrum master or a product owner or is it not so much like that? It, it, it does. Now, what you'll find on the team is that you're always going to have a set of natural leaders. OK, mm-hmm. natural leaders will emerge. There's not so much a problem with that. What it is is when you have people that don't understand that as a group you have to come to a decision, that just because you think that one particular solution is the best idea, don't necessarily follow that. You need people to be able to step back at certain points in time to understand that the solution that a team of eight people that they came up with could potentially be better than an idea that I came up with. So... The personality traits that you're looking for is people that are open, people that are, um, to a certain degree, humble and willing to accept feedback from other individuals, even if they're saying it's wrong. Okay, just be open to it and understand that together you're going to wind up getting through this particular obstacle. So individuals that play well with others, that works out really great. Um, Individuals that don't necessarily always get along well in the team. That's where the other cultural part comes in for the organization. So they can be um, somewhat of your problem children, and that's where the scrum master has to come in. The scrum master has to try to identify what is the root cause of that. How can we address this? Um, But for the most part, if you have a scrum master who is, um, like I said, a servant leader, that winds up being a good trait, a product owner, you need someone that's going to be definitive. When they come up with a particular answer, they need to stand by it, not only with your team, but also with management. Why did you make that particular team? Why did you make that particular decision? And you need someone to be able to stand up. This is what I thought was best. Okay, not you don't want to run into a situation where they say, well, the team said they couldn't do it. Because then what that does is that tear down. It tears down trust within the team. So you need a product owner that can stand on their own be able to stand up the management, and be able to work with the team at the same time. Excellent. Okay. Who keeps the kids from eating the spaghetti? Hmm. That, that's... <laughs> Ooh, okay. uh, I've never heard that one before. I'm, I'm just kidding, of course. <laughs> I had to go back to the to the kids with making their spaghetti towers. Just, that's quite a visual. Um, and, and an excellent rundown. You mentioned just now teams of eight, but really we have only three roles that we've mentioned so far. So I'm just curious, and we don't need to you know go too deep in, mm-hmm. but when there are multiple team members, what's hap- what happens? Are there just extra roles? Do they wear the same hats? How does it how does it shake out? So what happens on a team, you'll have like your primary responsibility. Like, why were you hired in that particular organization? Okay, I'm a developer. Okay, I'm a financial expert. Okay, I'm a uh, graphical user interface expert. So you'll have certain expertise that you bring to the table. Okay, that's your primary responsibility. When you're on a team, you'll and this is a development team. It can be uh, a services team. It could be a marketing team, whatever the case may be. 
when you actually start on a team and you start on a particular iteration, you'll have various things that need to be done. You're going to have a certain amount of uh, analysis that's going to be required. You're going to have a certain amount of actual development work that's going to be done, be it developing financial models, developing new marketing materials, whatever the case may be. You're going to have different tasks that need to be done. And as you begin to progress through and the time frame gets smaller and smaller when you actually need to deliver something, that's when you really have all hands on deck. Mm -hmm. Because if you have individuals that can help you write this particular uh, advertising piece, if you have someone that can help you with the Excel macros, okay, you don't necessarily need someone that's labeled as a developer to help out with an Excel macro. It can be someone in accounting that knows it could be someone who's a, a high school junior or something like that that can help you out. Um, because I, I think of like another interesting story is we were meeting with a client one time and it was uh, four of us from the company. We're all C-level, okay? okay? And then we were meeting with the uh, client and their second in command. And we had uh, a summer intern that was there. And the client is telling us about the issues and things like that. And at one point, the actual intern she raises a hand and she she points out a, a glaring issue, a glaring problem. And I was like, that's exactly what you want to have happen. You don't want people to be pigeonholed where people know their role, know their place, and they stay in that place. You want everybody to participate. So when you get to the point where you have interns feeling free, feeling capable to stand up and actually be able to voice their opinion. Think of how much more productive your teams can be if you've got everyone engaged, if you've got everyone contributing. Love it. She really earned her college credit and maybe a stipend that day, huh? <laughs> she did. She really did. <laughs> That's very cool. That is. That's a great story. Okay. Well, are there any other tips that you might like to give just for folks who are starting to think about this in terms of integration? The first thing that I would say is you have to understand the organization that you're in. Mm -hmm. You have to understand the organizational culture that you're in as well. Whenever you try to introduce something new, you can be facing a tremendous uphill battle if you don't get senior leadership on your side. Because senior leadership, they have certain expectations they have certain cultural norms, um, company norms that exist, and they just will not die off easy. So when you introduce something new, it's almost like introducing a virus into your system. <laughs> the first response is that they fight it. Okay, this is not the norm. Okay, we're going to fight it. We're going to fight it. <laughs> um, so what happens is you've got to find individuals that are on your side to help you actually bring this new foreign entity in and actually support it to give it life because you're going to need to nurture it for a while. So for us, one of the key things that we do is we always start pretty much with the CEO, the CIO, the CTOs. You've got to start at that very top because you've got to get basically ground cover. You need, well, you need air covers. You need air cover and you need ground cover, okay? Mm -hmm. Love it. So that you, when you go in, the first roadblock or obstacle that you run into, leadership doesn't go, let's cancel that. Okay. I knew it was never going to work to begin with. <laughs> but if you work with the senior executive team and you explain it up front, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what it's going to look like. You're going to go through that typical J-curve uh, process where productivity is going to dip for a little bit. Okay, but guess what? It's going to begin to take off. Just believe in us. Give us a little bit of time. So when you've got someone working directly with the actual senior leadership team, it helps you with your uh, journey. 
Um, the next thing is like I talked about before, training really winds up being key. If you can uh, have the whole team go to training, that would be ideal. A lot of times what happens is they'll bring in like a consultant and they'll just say, okay, we're going to be agile tomorrow. Right. And we put up a poster. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to have a daily standup. We're agile. Don't worry about it. And, and you see a lot of organizations that actually do that. They will bring in somebody. They'll say they're following the ceremonies and they think they're agile. That's not it. It's, it's really a mindset change. And if you start with the senior leadership if you wind up really trying to convey that, okay, we're going to need you to participate, we're going to need you to be the champion behind this process, then you begin to tear down an awful lot of walls, okay? And when you tear down those walls, and now people understand that mistakes are going to be made, but we're going to recover, and we're going to be better, and we're going to be stronger and faster the next iteration, it's much better uh, when you do it like that. Uh, just like Jeff Bezos, he just came out, I think it was last week, and he said they want to fail faster, now, that's a real agile way, and you can see it actually starts at the top. Very seldom do you see a CEO say, we want to fail, okay, and we want right. to fail faster. <laughs> so in that particular situation, he understands by failing, you learn from it. And by learning from it, you can actually wind up developing a better product, delivering a better service to your customers in the future. So that was great when Bezos, he came out and he made that announcement. I'm like, yes, agile really is taking hold. And when you go to organizations – when you get the CEOs to buy into it, when the team, they're now behind it because they see senior leadership is behind it, that, I would say, is probably the biggest battle that you can fight within any organization. The ceremonies and the processes, those are straightforward. Getting the leadership to understand the change, getting the buy-in from the team, and that they can really see that a change is in place, those are your big winners. If you can wind up hitting those things, you can be successful at Agile. Excellent. Okay. Do you have any other stories of agile integration or agile success that you just really like? The one story that stands out to me about agile is when I was getting one of my other uh, certifications in agile, uh, the instructor, they talked about some of the difficulties that they had on uh, healthcare.gov. Okay. So we all know what happened with healthcare. We all know there's a lot of challenges there, and, and at I was least. Like, Why would you bring this up? I, I don't understand this. But he started to tell us how the developers, they were seeing that there were problems. And they were like, this is not going to work. This is not going to be successful. The developers, they were trying to fight for Agile. The subcontractors, they were trying to fight for Agile. And as typical in many public sector agencies, they were fighting. It was like, no, we cannot do this. This has high visibility. We're going to follow the standard process, and we're going to work through this. Well, and what happened with the standard process? Healthcare.gov healthcare was rolled out, and it was a disaster. Right. But then after they saw that they had a major problem on their hands, that's when they said, we have to make a change. The existing process that we have is not working. So then they transitioned over to Agile, and actually they transitioned over to scaled Agile at that particular point in time. Um, what does that mean? So Agile is very good at small teams, okay? Mm -hmm. When you've got a team, eight, you know, 13 people, okay, that's typically the maximum size that you see with a team. When you have to deliver something very small, Agile is great, okay? But now if you are Cisco and you have to put out a new router, or if you're Microsoft and you want to make an enhancement to SharePoint, or if you wind up being Samsung and they want to make a modification to their phone, how do you begin to mobilize 
100, 200, 500 people so that they're all on the same sheet of music and you can all deliver the same product. That was something that was very challenging within the industry for a while. That's when they started to come out with scaled agile approaches. Mm -hmm. So scaled agile doesn't deal with one team. You can deal with 50, 100 teams. And it shows you how to effectively align your organization so that you have one vision, one purpose, and you have all these little separate independent teams all focusing on the same objective. It's wow. almost just like, you know, the military and you have a SEAL team, okay? Mm-hmm. SEAL teams, they all operate like individual cells, but you also have to coordinate all of the operations together, okay? And you have to come up with an approach where you can still have these teams be nimble, to go out there, do what's necessary, but you need to have them all moving in the same direction because the worst thing you can have is little teams all moving in their different directions and everything. So when you have a common focus, that winds up being tremendously powerful. And that's what Scaled Agile does. It takes one team and allows you to scale it out to 100. That's fantastic. Okay, perfect. Well, let's talk a little bit about the future of Agile. I'm curious, okay. do, you, do you have any thoughts? I know we don't have a crystal ball here, mm-hmm. but uh, you've seen the past, uh, I don't know how long, how long have you been involved with Agile, did you say? 20 years. 20 years, okay. Yep. So you've literally seen the beginning of Agile. Yes. And where, in terms of its evolution, where do you see it going? The big thing that I see now is Agile moving out into many other sectors outside of just software development. Uh, you see it in Harvard Business Review. You see it in Forbes magazine where many different agencies and organizations, they're starting to take on Agile. Because just like when I talked about it initially, there are certain problems that you have in every organization. If you have low engagement within your organization and you have teams that don't feel like they're empowered How much are you actually hurting yourself by not trying to transition over to something where you can get more input from your employees, where employees, they feel like they're a part of that actual solution? So pushing this out into the mainstream, this is going to be the big thing where I see it going. And you're going to see it in many, many different industries. Um, Right now, you hear about how automation is beginning to take over. So this impacts almost everything. Everyone. So what it means is that you're going to have to have almost every segment of society and the business world, they're going to have to begin to produce faster because cycles, many times before, they were very, very slow. So now when you find out that you not only have competition within, let's say, Washington, D.C., sure, you also have competition in Washington State. You also have competition in Vietnam. You have competition in Europe. You have competition in the you know former Soviet Union. You have competition that's global now, and everyone is trying to push a product or service out there faster. So this is where Agile can be really come into the mainstream. And if you can, like I said, get past those initial hurdles, then I think it can make a huge difference in many different sectors. And it will allow us to really accept this new age of machine, artificial learning, machine learning, and things like that. You can accept it because rather than just sitting back allowing something to happen to you, you can be more, much more proactive and you can see where it's going and then you can begin to adapt and recover and respond much faster because legacy cycles are just too slow. Everyone's trying to get rid of these legacy cycles. Everyone's looking for how can we do things better, Faster? How can we actually benefit from having a team of 50, okay, rather than simply having our senior leadership team be the only ones to try to figure out a solution to this particular problem? Excellent. Okay. Perfect. So I'm curious is there some kind of a mantra is not quite the right word, mm-hmm. but 
a short reminder to oneself and maybe to yourself that you keep in mind in order to be successful mm-hmm. in agile? Um, it could be a metaphor, just, just some kind of a reminder that helps you internalize to stay focused on agile. For me, I'm always focusing on delivering. I'm always focused on trying to make a client happy. And up until this point, this is probably the best tool, the best process that I've seen where you can actually get large numbers of people engaged, committed to a process to be successful. So as of right now, this is the best tool that I actually know about. So I don't necessarily have to think about it. I think about how can I be successful for each one of my clients? And then I apply the tool and agile Pops into my head about 90% of the time. <laughs> right. So that's how I look at it. Oh, that's great. That shows a lot of dedication and um, depth to uh, what we're doing here. It's helpful. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up? Um, no, not really. <laughs> okay. All right. Perfect. Well, this has been fantastic. Uh, the very last question is, what is the best place for people to go to learn more about you and maybe to reach you? Uh, so the company website is muse-technologies.com, um, and you can go there. You can find all about the company, and then my link, my bio is in there as well, so you can always go there, and my email address is there as well, but you can also just contact me at eric at muse-technologies.com, and I'll be more than happy to respond. Perfect. Well, Eric, thanks again for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, I hope you all enjoyed and learned how to really formally and uh, philosophically integrate agile technologies and processes into your organization and your work. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.